DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. Dr. Lewis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Dr. Lillis is also the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, entitled The Last Retreat, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Anthony. It's great to be with you, Chris. The eighth day of the last retreat with Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. I do love this one because she gives us a word from heaven and she tells us, do it. Adore. Oh, oh, and you're right. The beauty of adoration. So it has two paragraphs, and they're both a little bit long. Before we start this first paragraph, notice in the seventh day we prayed through, she talked about the heaven of her soul becoming like the heaven of glory in both day and night. And so day was all those ways that God makes known to us what he's doing, and night in the soul is uh, all those ways we experience what God is doing hidden in us. We don't really get to see what it is. It's disguised in suffering and inadequacy and a weakness. Whether we understand what he's doing or whether we don't understand what he's doing, Elizabeth of the Trinity says, keep our eyes fixed on him. That was our lesson from the other day. Now she's going to take us up. She was talking about what goes on in our soul. Now to help us understand more and more what it means to be for us to be a praise of glory. She's going to hold what goes on in our soul to the standard of the heaven of glory in an even deeper way. And we're going to see the themes of day and night and glory come up again. So this is paragraph 20 in the eighth day. And they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who will be for ages unending. And they fall down and worship him, and they cast down their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. How can I imitate in the heaven of my soul this unceasing occupation of the blessed in the heaven of glory? How can I sustain this uninterrupted praise and adoration? St. Paul gives me light on this when he writes to his followers his wish that the Father would strengthen them inwardly with power through his Spirit so that Christ would dwell through faith in their hearts and so that they would be rooted and grounded in love. To be rooted and grounded in love, such, it seems to me, is the condition for worthily fulfilling its work as praise of glory. 
The soul that penetrates and dwells in these depths of God, of which the royal prophets sing, and thus does everything in him, with him, by him, and for him, with that limpid gaze which gives it a certain resemblance to the simple being. This soul, by each of its movements, its aspirations, as well as by each of its acts, however ordinary they may be, is rooted more deeply in him whom it loves. Everything within it pays homage to the thrice holy God. It is, so to speak, a perpetual sanctus, an unceasing praise of glory. Powerful image, isn't it? Oh my goodness, it's just spectacular. Especially with the soul, when you really engage in it, can you imagine the... I, well, I guess you can't imagine, can you? You can only really experience it. Exactly. She is inviting us to see... A lot of people, when they talk about heaven or even when they read the book of Revelations, they objectify the passage so that they're not implicated in it. They're removed from it. Okay, so they're all gathered around the throne saying, holy, 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 good for them, sounds boring. You know, they kind of move on to the next passage, hoping that there will be some real action. Because after all, what exactly is being accomplished when everybody's falling down before the the glory of God anyway? There needs to be some action going on. Where's the where's the results? You know, and that's a temptation when we read these scriptures is to not implicate ourselves in them. Elizabeth of the Trinity, throughout her retreat, is constantly implicating us in the in the drama of God's glory being revealed in the scriptures. And so what we have going on in heaven is not something boring at all. You have these super intelligent beings, these, uh, these great souls and heroes, men and women of great intelligent personal greatness and dignity and worth. These are the ones who are gathered around the throne and when, how are they gathered around uh, notice she says they do not rest day and night these souls are gathered around the throne of the lamb whether they understand what god is doing or they don't understand what god is doing they are there they are steadfast they believe in him come what come may and who do they believe in they cry out holy 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 this scripture passage the reason why holy is repeated three times is in Hebrew, the way you express a superlative is to repeat it three times. And so holy, holy, holy means holier than all holy holiness. The holiness of holiness is here. Uh, you know, this holier than holiness is the Lord God Almighty. And so the Lord, uh, we use the word Lord in the scriptures to point to the name revealed to Moses. And so the holier than holier is the one whose name was revealed to Moses. And then the last word here, the Almighty, and the word in Hebrew, Sabaoth, uh, speaks to a mighty army arrayed for battle. A mighty army arrayed for battle is a fearful thing to behold. If you saw a mighty army arrayed for the battle uh, coming to your town, you hope that 
that your town is on the side of the mighty army, otherwise your town will be utterly destroyed. And this is the army. Uh, this god of armies is, is the one who's being worshipped at the throne. And they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who will be for ages unending. And they fall down and worship him, and they cast down their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. And why is this an important thing? Days and nights, things are going on that we understand and things are going on that we don't understand in our lives. And it's easy to believe in the midst of whether we understand things or we don't understand things, it's easy to believe that what's really happening has material, accidental explanations. And it's very hard to believe in this world where there's evil and bad things happen that God is in control. It takes great faith. And these mighty souls, these souls are choosing to relate to God, to see God as the one who is in control. And what they see when they behold God night and day is they see something that makes them fall down and worship him and cast down all their glory before him. It's something so beautiful and so powerful that it, it evokes from their heart the, the words, worthy are you. This movement of adoration where our being prostrates itself before the glory of God. This is a hard movement to make in our lives of prayer uh, because deep down inside us, we suspect that God really is not present and that he really is not in control. And so we don't, we don't know how to keep our eyes fixed on him when we can't understand or see what he's doing. And sometimes when we think we understand what he's doing, we understand it in the wrong way. We don't understand it in a way that gives him the glory, a way which evokes from our hearts the explanation, worthy are you. We understand it in lesser ways. And so Elizabeth of the Trinity, what she's doing is she is helping us confront the doubt in our hearts about the glory and holiness of God by putting us, implicating us directly in this passage. How can I imitate in the heaven of my soul this unceasing occupation of the blessed in the heaven of glory? What they are doing is the way I ought to be, not someday in some future moment, but right here and right now. Isn't it remarkable, Anthony, that for us, particularly in our culture, but probably for most human beings walking the planet, we want to race to joy. So joy that we're all making and more often than not, I think of a small child who 
in anticipating potentially going to Disney World mm. or or somebody, you know, just going to their favorite football game or there's some type of event. There's a joy. We just can't wait. And that type of enthusiasm, that excitement, that's essentially what she's communicating here times 10 mm. so that in this adoration, this joy, it's not only something that we're giving, but there's something, because God is a relationship, it comes back to us and it it flows back and forth. I mean, that's why there's this perpetual song. Beautiful. Yes. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. And in that book, he talks about these fleeting moments of joy he had before he believed in Christ Jesus. And an observation he makes about those fleeting moments of joy is that they were fleeting, that ever, however much he enjoyed whatever joy he was enjoying, it was always tinged with sadness, tinged with the awareness that this joy was going to pass away, that it wasn't going to be with him forever. And so joy and sorrow kind of were like a mutual an experience that, that came together for him as a young man. And that experience, seeking a joy that would not come to an end, is something that eventually led him to Christianity. Christianity proposed that kind of joy for him. And when he chose to believe that kind of joy was there for him in Christ, he was able to become a Christian. So anyway, your observation is very right. She is She is proposing a kind of joy for us. But the other thing you proposed when you first started your question was the, the fact that some people want to get to this joy right away uh, without having to bother with the cross. They enjoy the consolations of the days. You know, here's the saints in heaven, day and night in the temple. And they would like to have the consolation of the days in their hearts where they understand what God is doing. But the moment the Lord begins to test that, they get discouraged. They don't stand fast in the task that the Lord has asked of them so that the work of the blessed can be carried out in their souls too. So for Elizabeth then, she uses St. Paul to talk about this transit. How do we enter into this kind of joy, this wonder, this astonishment, this this vulnerability of the heart that the, the citizens of heaven have. How do we live like that right now so that our hearts can anticipate what is to come? How can I imitate in the heaven of my soul this unceasing occupation of the blessed in the heaven of glory? How can I sustain this uninterrupted praise and adoration? St. Paul gives me light on this when he writes to his followers his wish that the Father would strengthen them inwardly with power through his Spirit so that Christ would dwell through faith in their hearts and so that they would be rooted and grounded in love. She says the way we do this is by loving. And it's very simple, but she using the word St. Paul prays that the Father would strengthen them with power through his Spirit so that Christ would dwell through faith in their hearts, so that they would be rooted and grounded in love. 
So the Father strengthens them. How? Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that increases, deepens, enriches their faith, and with that faith, they're able to love. And so by love here, when we say that love is what opens us up to the glory of heaven, what we don't mean is a sentimental movement of heart or a nice wish. We mean living by a faith in what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus has revealed about the Father. And when we live in that faith, when we choose to believe that Jesus is real and what is has revealed is real and he really does love us that much, that evokes a response of love from us, a response that the Holy Spirit is producing in us where we need to go out and love too. And this is where Pope Benedict will talk about the faith being performative. If you believe, you need to act. Why? Because what you believe in is a loving action, God's love for us. When you look to see what Jesus did for us, all of a sudden you can't look at yourself or the world in the same way ever again. Because when you look at what Jesus has done, the deepest truth about who we are, the deepest truth about my life, is not the fact that I've sinned and fallen short. That's true. Everyone has. The deepest truth of my life, though, isn't exhausted by that. What the deepest truth is, is Jesus loves me, and he died for me. And in dying for me, he merited for me to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by that gift, I have faith, the kind of faith that expresses itself in a love, a love that is stronger than death. So she's inviting us to root ourselves, to ground ourselves in this love. To be rooted and grounded in love, such it seems to me, is the condition for worthily fulfilling its work as praise of glory. The soul that penetrates and dwells in these depths of God, of which the royal prophets sing, and thus does everything in him, with him, by him, and for him, with that limpid gaze which gives it a certain resemblance to the simple being. This soul, by each of its movements, its aspirations, as well as by each of its acts, however ordinary they may be, is rooted more deeply in him whom it loves. Everything within it pays homage to the thrice holy God, it is, so to speak, a perpetual sanctus, an unceasing praise of glory. What is the ground of the soul? What is that in which it roots itself? You know, the word radical comes from rooting yourself in something. If you're a radical, if you're rooted in something. So people who aren't radicals in this life are rootless people. Uh, you know, they, they're just uh, kind of cut off from their roots. They can't get the nourishment into their life. So radicals, I know radicals get a bad rap, but radicals are actually a very good thing. But it, it matters completely what you are rooted in. And uh, the ground, what is the ground on which we stand? The word understanding comes from we are standing firm on some ground. And so what is this ground we on which we stand and we are rooted in? And Elizabeth is saying, it is the truth of God's love revealed by Christ crucified. 
a truth communicated to us, not as an idea, but through the intimacy of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, who makes this known to us, who increases our faith. This is what roots us into the truth and grounds us in the truth of God's love. And when you're grounded in that truth, it changes the whole way you relate to others. So this kind of radical life rooted, established on the truth of God's love, Elizabeth is saying, this is what it means to praise the, the glory of God. This is what it means to be the praise of God's glory, because such a soul can show him to the world. The more this soul penetrates, enters more deeply into this love, the more it is able to do everything in him, with him, by him, and for him. And so for her, this rooting in the love of Christ, it involves action, but it also involves a primacy of contemplation. In order to love with the way God has loved us, you need to see it. You need to acknowledge it. You need to cling to it in faith. You need to believe in it. And as you root your existence in this thing that is being disclosed to us in prayer, then you are able to, you are free. You have the energy, the strength you need to reveal that love to the world. Everything within it pays homage to the thrice holy God. It is, so to speak, a perpetual sanctus, an unceasing praise of glory. And now she's just revealed to us a deep truth about the people in heaven and the deep truth about the people who are around the throne of God in heaven is that they are a people who are completely rooted in love, consumed with love. They love us and they're concerned about us as they praise God night and day, as they see the great things that God is doing and as maybe they puzzle over some of the things they don't understand that God is doing in the world, but, but they believe in him and they see his glory and they offer praise to him anyway. Why are they able to do this? Because they love him. They are grounded in his love. And Elizabeth is saying, you don't have to wait to go to heaven to live like that. You can live like this right now. This is something that God is making available to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's why Jesus came and died for us, is so that this activity, this splendor, this wonder that is in heaven can live in our hearts. And they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is, and who will be for ages unending. And they fall down and worship him, and they cast down their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. How can I imitate in the heaven of my soul this unceasing occupation of the blessed in the heaven of glory. How can I sustain this uninterrupted praise and adoration? St. Paul gives me light on this when he writes to his followers his wish that the Father would strengthen them inwardly with power through his Spirit so that Christ would dwell through faith in their hearts and so that they would be rooted and grounded in love. To be rooted and grounded in love. 
such it seems to me, is the condition for worthily fulfilling its work as praise of glory. The soul that penetrates and dwells in these depths of God, of which the royal prophets sing, and thus does everything in him, with him, by him, and for him, with that limpid gaze which gives it a certain resemblance to the simple being. This soul, by each of its movements, its aspirations, as well as by each of its acts, however ordinary they may be, is rooted more deeply in him whom it loves. Everything within it pays homage to the thrice holy God. It is, so to speak, a perpetual sanctus, an unceasing praise of glory. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Wallace.